0: You're listening to The Corbett Report.
1: Welcome friends, James Corbett here at CorbettReport.com and a conversation being recorded on the 8th of January 2019. Happy New Year! And as you may have noticed in the New Year break, an interesting story developed on the 9-11 front. While you might have been partying away with your eggnog in hand, a dark, mysterious group of hackers has emerged on the scene with a bunch of documents that they say that they have that they're partially releasing in return for Bitcoin ransom. There's a whole story going on uh, around this release of 9-11 related documents that is interesting conspiratainment, but a lot of conjecture and a lot of false trails and things going on right now and accounts being taken down and fake accounts being put up. So I will let you delve into that side of the story in your own time. I'll throw some links into some articles that explain what's happening in case you haven't seen this at all. But, to get into the nitty-gritty details of what these documents that have so far been released actually do or do not tell us, we have the privilege of talking to one of the most encyclopedically knowledgeable people on the 9-11 front, in, uh, in, on the line with us right now, that's Jason Burmis, who I'm sure you will know was involved with the uh, Loose Change production uh, team, Uh, did his own documentary, Fabled Enemies, which is still worth watching, uh, what, a decade or so after it was released? Still a lot of great and valuable information in that that documentary, and is still producing material. In case you didn't know, I hope my viewers do know, but he is producing material in conjunction with We Are Change. We're going to point you today specifically to Pulse Change, which is a channel that uh, Jason is contributing to and putting a lot of uh, material out, including a few videos now on the case of these 9-11 documents that are being released or partially released or question mark, redacted, released, what's happening. Jason Bermas, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. And you know, what is happening really quickly? Well, we have one section, one layer, if you will, of five layers of a 9.8 gigabyte torrent file that is encrypted by Veracrypt. Now, as a little taste, before they got their first 12,000 in Bitcoin ransom or whatever, they released about 10.2 megabytes of these files. Now, upon looking at these, it seemed to me that they were indeed genuine and exactly what they said they were. Legal documentation that includes sensitive security information and otherwise unavailable documents that had come out through legislation and lawsuit Lawsuits. So you start looking at these, and these guys were pretty savvy in their press release. They pointed to Silverstein Properties. They released some of those documents. Nothing that was extremely over the top, but at the same time, they were saying, hey, look at this lawsuit where they're talking about weapons coming into the airport in September of 2000. They're actually talking about cell phones being used as incendiary devices. So not just using them to say, get those dangerous box cutters or small knives in, but possible bombs. So then a day later, um, the first layer's ransom is actually paid up. And this is amidst them being, like you said, taken down from Twitter and Pastebin and every other social media platform and relocating to Steam where some direct downloads were available, and then, you know, the encryption key to Layer 7. So in Layer 7, you have about 650 documents. And again, I want to say that it seems like what they're saying, at least with this layer of documentation, is true. And these are lower-rung documents. So what else are they are, are they including? Well, we just talked about weaponry. So they are showing you, for instance, an FAA document of many different uh ways to hide a knife or another type of weapon. So we we actually went through that in one of the videos on Pulse Change. You can see this documentation. Uh, one document that is extremely interesting is talking about a lawsuit against the airlines, an FAA protocol. And in it, it seems to slip out um, uh, this quote right here. I'm going to read it ver- verbatim. And, and we're going to read it in long so you can have a little bit of context in here. It says newer corporate jets already have automatic transponders, which engage a secondary unit automatically if the primary transponder fails. You know, again, saying those hijackers, they turned off the transponders. How could we ever get to them? It was already really standard procedure. You know, that's part of the lawsuit. The use of the automatic transponders should have been mandatory on all new jet liners, which it probably was. But again, you know, they're covering all their bases. Older planes could be retrofitted for this using the technology for a relatively modest cost. Aviation experts agree knowing right away that the planes had not crashed but had been commandeered might have cut precious minutes off the time it took the FAA to decide to contact the military. This may have allowed the military to intervene as they did on the flight in Pennsylvania. So again, It's not a mystery to those that have actually researched this and found out that there's an eight-and-a-half-mile debris field over a mountain ridge in New Baltimore. Not the spin the debunkers will tell you that, oh, they Googled Indian Lake and it said it was eight miles away, but it's really 1.5. It's only an eight-mile drive. What? That's what they really sold people, and then they just didn't talk about, you know, the fact there wasn't a fuselage in that open field. There weren't wings in that open field. The very small amount of debris that was shown was shown during the Masawi trial, and it included a folded-up red bandana. And this apparently is where they got the idea that the hijackers uh, were wearing red bandanas when they hijacked these things. Can't make it up. Hand to God. You can see it in the evidence. The, the bandana is not attached to a head. There's no burn marks. There's no blood. This survives a crash of apparently jihadists that took over a plane and crashed into an open field. I mean, it's mind-blowing. So here you you have more affirmation of that. Um, some of the other documentation is from the Massawi trial, so we're going to get insights there, transcripts. We have Michael Levy's testimony in here. And again, I've gone through a very minimal amount of these documents, but I'm making the effort. There's a lot of people out there, like you said, Uh, going through and making conjecture. And I'm showing people how these work. So the testimony of Michael Levy is really interesting because he heads up Silverstein Properties. He's right under Larry Silverstein and the ex-head of the World Trade Center, a man named Wharton. And for those that don't know, Larry really picked these these things up pretty early on, right before these attacks. So they hire Kroll. And Kroll is a security consultant firm. And they hire John O'Neill. John O'Neill has gone on to such infamy that Hulu has actually made a uh, you know docudrama series called The Looming Tower. I'll admit I haven't seen it, but you know people have. It has people who play Richard Clark, all this other stuff. Believe me, it, it plays into the jihadi angle, but John O'Neill was a counterterrorism guy who was very involved in tracking down the bin Laden network for the FBI prior. That's why he was chosen. The irony is tremendous. So, As as you go through his testimony and go on and on and on, you find out that Kroll actually did a security analysis of the building where they thought it was extremely poor. (laughs) They do this report that's never seen the light of day, but obviously comes up in this uh, court case. It's the first time I've ever heard about it. And um, Wharton, who was the head of that time, asked them to amend and retract it. He does not want it out there. And this is actually something they did in conjunction with the Port Authority. Now, lo and behold, of course, on 9-11, uh, that documentation and so much other is destroyed and never recovered. It's only discussed about in these documents. But again, this is the first rung of five layers. So there's plenty to go through here. Um, you know, we have so much insight, James, into how the lawsuits were paid out. You know, directly after 9-11, it was OK to take $60 million from the Sudan. Uh, It was okay to take $82 million from Iran, freeze their assets in the United States. Syria had $58 million taken from them. And then 13,224 designees had another $100 million taken from them. Uh, These would then later be liquidated in these lawsuits. Well, who gets off? Let me tell you who gets off. Uh, Saudi uh, Arabia, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and a bunch of their princes, uh, let's see, there, let me let me read those names through. Prince uh, Turkey, Prince Salman, Prince Nafif, uh, Prince Muhammad, the Saudi High uh, Commission, and the Arab Bank. They all get to walk. Now, other players, um, and again, a lot of documents to go through, but in this particular one, other players such as Yasin Kadi and uh, uh, Bin Mafuz, they're still up on the chopping block. They're not sure what they're going to do with them yet. Uh, Kadi is named in Fabled Enemies by Robert Wright, one of the special agents uh, in charge of this counterterrorism unit who tried to blow the whistle prior to 9-11 said he knew how the money moved. And in this same documentation, while they don't refer to the FBI knowing about these monetary transactions, they refer to the CIA knowing about them. But I thought they didn't talk to each other, James. How could they have the same information if they if I this is so confusing the to wall, me. So, the wall, the <laughs> yeah. wall. So what I, I think we're, we're going to find out and this by the way, may be the last of these dumps. I warned about that as soon as it went down. I said, you know what? They're saying they want to talk to the politicians and people there. They're giving out email addresses. Um, this is seems to be not a hacktivist group, but an immoral group that would, say, just take a couple documents out, maybe amend some real documents, or maybe sprinkle some disinformation in there while doing the same thing for the right price. $2 million is cheap for somebody that wants to run a 5 or $10 million disinformation campaign, and those budgets exist.
1: Excellent so I- point, excellent point. Let's let's dwell on that, because that's going to be the first thing a lot of people are going to ask about these documents. How do we know any of them are legitimate? Or how do we know that, man, maybe 90%, maybe 99% of them are legitimate, but 1% gets sprinkled in there that's disinfo. And yeah, exactly. If they're asking for 2 million, hey, I'm sure the deep state could come up with a lot more than that, could print it out of nothing to uh, to in order to, to run an operation like this, or at least buy it out, or whatever. There's so many different things we could speculate about here, so what what do we know about these documents? How how legitimate are they? Can we can we verify uh, any of that?
0: Yes, we can. And and that was going to be my next point. See, I think that again, without seeing 100% of the documents, I obviously can't say I'm 100% certain that 100% of the documents that are real. But the 100 or so that I've gone through of this 600 plus cash, I've seen not only uh, no signs of forgery, but I've seen patterns that make them more and more real. Not only log files, but we've had some people go into the forensics already. Check out the metadata. They are from when they say they were. And again, they span. Uh, I've seen documents up to 2010, I think even up to 2012. And there has not been any irregularities or anomalies in there. So that that's a great sign, right? How can we back it up that they're all real? Well, for instance, I was going through one court case, and it was actually a lawsuit to the Boy Scouts uh, for molestation. It was an upstate New York case in Oneida County. So I was like, that's weird that's in here. But I'm like, well, if this is litigation documents and they say what they said and they took a blanket amount of them, who knows how this may or may not fit in. So I just kind of Googled the case. And sure enough, I was able to not not find the transcript of the actual trial, but I was able to find the footnotes that it did exist. And I was like, okay. So there's nothing but confirmation here, at least. But again, with them saying, I mean, literally in their press release, we'll work with ISIL, ISIS, if you're a rogue government, if you're Russia, if you're China, if you're an interested journalist, that tells me, you know, a guy like Larry Silverstein, who made out with billions at the end of the day, isn't going to have problems saying, all right, here's 10 million, this is what I want you to do. The problem would come is, I think for people that are paying the extortion is there's no guarantee that they won't release it. They're most infamous for their uh, Netflix hack. And they got a season of The Orange is New Black a couple years ago. They actually got paid out. But part of their deal was, hey, you don't work with law enforcement. And they did. So not only did they get paid out, they put the uh, videos out anyway after the fact. And you'd have to say that, look – These are digital files. They now exist in the digital verse. There's no guarantees that, like I said, encryption software may be irrelevant 20 years from now. And it's out in the public domain. So what am I really buying? At the same time, a guy like Larry Silverstein isn't gonna live another 20 years. It may be (laughs) worth that for him to pay out, you know? uh there's so many things that could be said about these documents but the bottom line is james i encourage people to go check them out themselves there are enough mega link drives if you actually go to my pulse change video what's actually in the dark overlord files go into the comments there are plenty of people that are posting the entire archive there so you can look at them yourself and hey i'll be the first to eat eat my words if you can find something that proves these to be false or disinfo or fake, because right now that's not the vibe I'm getting, but that doesn't mean that's not the vibe that's in the future. You know, these people, people are openly shady, openly shady. Anybody that tells you that this is some kind of a white hat operation and, you know, the Calvary's coming in and the indictments are in and the Podestas are going to prison and we're going to defeat, you know, the new world order. I got news for you. It's not that simple. These documents more than likely expose the air quality on 9-11. If they go far enough, they probably expose connections to FBI informants like the one that an assets like Khalid Al-Madar living with his landlord. Those types of things in these lawsuits are probably going to come up and we're going to get insights to those. What you're not going to get is a confession video from Dick Cheney. Uh, but you may see his, you know, you may have testimony from somebody that worked in the POC that day. That is a real possibility. Um, I'm trying to keep my mind open. I'm trying not to get too excited, and I'm not trying to get too daunted by the scope of all this stuff. But like I said, they've been off the grid for two days, and there's a possibility this might be the last we hear of it at all.
1: Uh it's a crazy story for a lot of different reasons but I'm glad that uh people like yourself are delving into this and I hope other people will too just to just to see what is there or what is not there and always keeping in mind that yes this could be a false cookie crumb trail or whatever but you know we have to I mean what do what else do we do other than look at the cookie crumbs that are there and decide and put it together into the picture to see what it uh, tells us about the bigger picture or what it doesn't tell us. so it's an interesting situation. Um, I'm looking forward to your updates as they continue to come out. I'm assuming you'll continue to be working on this in the uh, coming days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know I actually hit uh, Dylan Avery with some of the documents because uh, you know we talked about it. Um, I I've, you know I'm interested to see what Richard Andrew Grove has to say. you know when I find Kroll there's probably not a, a bigger aficionado. On that angle of the investigation, now uh, that then Richard Andrew Grove, Tragedy and Hope, if you guys don't know. But this is this is gonna be teamwork. Jason Burmis isn't a genius. You know, I'm a regular guy, but a regular guy. look at these gray hairs right here. You know, you've been around forever, but I this is here my own, though. yeah. I know I it's like you're 15, 16, 17 running. I've been doing this professionally now on and off since 2005, man. It's 2019. And you know, I, I did an interview before this, and he asked you, Well, what's, what keeps you going? Well, what keeps me going is the fact that, that now I'm sitting here in my office. I have all this information not only on my fingertips, but I can share it with the world on several different platforms in 1080p instantly instantly. And that just, why I remember, I remember the days where you would have an idea for a video, you'd shoot it on your mini DV tape or your HDV tape. You'd have to convert it over. And then finally you could get to editing. You got to edit it. Edited. Could take five, six hours to upload, maybe more, maybe you might want to go to bed. That's if it didn't fail on the way up. And then you didn't even really get to make a thumbnail because you didn't have 10,000 subscribers and you were on YouTube side. Now, you're your own production studio. You've got your own venue, and it, it's up to you to do the work. You know, you can be lazy and sit there and scream and shout and talk about how the deep states this and that and blah, blah, blah. Or you can buckle down, sit with these documents for hours upon hours, find some stuff, and then sit down and do a 10 or 20 minute video that's actually coherent and worthwhile.
1: Unfortunately, a rarity. Uh, not a lot of people actually want to roll up their sleeves and actually do work. They just want to speculate and get into conspiratainment. But I'm glad there are people out there who are interested in the research. So I'll, as I say, I'll be keeping my eye on your channel. I hope everyone out there will too. The links uh, to all this will, of course, be in the show notes of this, uh, of this video. So please go there and discover more about this intriguing story. And uh, I'm going to be looking forward to, to what you have to say in the future. James, Jason Burmes, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, sir. Since the day of 9-11, we've been told what happened. Freedom itself is under attack. We've been told who to blame. The Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Osama bin Laden. Terrorists in the terrorist network. Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda. We've been told what to think. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. Concerning the attacks of September the 11th. But if you haven't seen 9-11 Trillions or 9-11 War Games, you don't know anything about 9-11. Some might ask, how in the world could the Secretary of Defense attack the Pentagon in front of its people? We had four... War games going on on September 11th. $8.5 trillion. The
0: most extraordinary coincidences in the history of mankind. We've
1: never seen so much real-world stuff happen during an exercise. It it is, um, I was going to say, terrifying. 9-11 Trillions and 9-11 War Games. Watch the documentaries for free online or, for the first time, own them on DVD today. Go to corporatereport.com slash shop for details.